Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's The Wonky Show. Uh, we're in Munster talking drugs, the HE policy year ahead, UCAS end of cycle, and this extraordinary bus trip we're on. It's all coming up. Now, we sort of know that the, the, the Conservative Party, from all the polling we get, has very little to offer uh, millennials and under. I just about count as a millennial. Um, and actually, in terms of the policy office, in terms of higher education, I think they've made a calculation, clearly, of then we're not going to get those votes. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll try and get them somewhere else. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Wonky's Associate Editor Jim Dickinson, and joining me on this bus trip on our way through uh, this week's HG policy news and also on our way through Europe are three fantastic guests in Munster. Uh, India Ellis is President at Lancaster SU. India, your highlight of the week? My highlight of the week has been the sandwiches that I ate in Netherlands. Um, exceptional sandwich game in Netherlands, I've learned. Alexander Robinson is President at Bath Student Union. Alexander, your highlight of the week? It was meeting Arno, President of the Student Council of the University of Antwerp, where we tried some student-made beer. And Gary Hughes is Chief Exec at Durham Student Union. Gary, your highlight of the week? Um, I'm going to give a bit of a shout-out to something that happening back at home. Uh, Jack Durham, SU's Opportunities Officer, has written a lovely article about how actually working uh, has actually made uh, the Freedom's Beach feel a little bit better. And it's really lovely to actually come back after the new year and read something nice. So, yes, we start this week with drugs. Uh, at the weekend... Well, actually, Alex, you explain. Well, the Times had a preview of the University's UK Task Force on Student Drug Use, um, looking at whether they're going to start having a well-being uh, approach rather than punitive to student drug use on campus. I mean, can you imagine the headlines? It's uh, going to be an absolute free-for-all. I mean, I think, to be fair, the Times article was a fairly decent um, setup. Like, when we see the report, it'll be informed. I think the important thing for me is that this is a UK report. Like Nick Beach uh, at Middlesex has chaired the task force. It has credible academics on credible sector support, um, and we're led to believe that we that the country wants evidence-informed policy uh, from universities making a real contribution to the way in which people's lives are made better. I think this is what that looks like. Now, um, I uh, really encourage people to look at who sits on that task force. You can really have great confidence in the uh, contributions made. It has um, people who are absolutely qualified to comment on um, matters of harm reduction, on matters of health, on uh, the ways in which policy and regulation work. I think it would be really easy to fall into a trap of um, zero tolerance without thinking what that means. It would be really easy to think about um, encouraging, you know, it's a gateway. The minute you start saying um, we will tolerate uh, people who smoke cannabis in Freshers Week, um, the next step is uh, international drug barons opening up a uh, pop pop up shop at Freshers Week, uh, and people signing up for the c- cocaine club. 
it's it's ludicrous. I think the um, confidence we should have in the people producing the report should see us well clear of all of that. I'm not entirely sure how much our institutions in in the United Kingdom are to taking the risks around having that kind of approach. I think that realistically, there are always going to be students that use drugs at university. And the minute that that begins to go wrong, we should be creating environments as higher education institutions where they feel they're, they're able to speak to people who can help them about that rather than hide it until it gets worse. It's a, the whole, I feel like the whole zero tolerance thing is a bit dated and... You know, if, if universities UK have actually come out and you know, said this, then then why why shouldn't we follow soon? At, at Bath now, the the SU does drug testing. The senior leadership, you know, realise at the university that people will continue to take drugs. Guidance from the UK will allow vice chancellors and senior leadership to go with go with this institution that says, you know, we're all going to do this together. Let's let's make a make a change rather than have to be the first ones to to do it and risks alienating themselves. Okay, let's see who's been blogging for us this week. For many of us working in higher education, one of the surprising things that happened in the later months of 2022 was suddenly seeing subject benchmark statements featuring the headlines of the national press. Benchmark statements have been around for over 20 years. For many of us, they have long been part of the furniture of the reference points we use in designing our programmes. The benchmarks are clearly labelled as reference points, not requirements or a national curriculum. But clearly some colleagues do not feel that this is the case. Why? At least part of the answer perhaps lies in the history of subject benchmarks and the multiple ways in which they've been used within universities. While the benchmarks are reference points, not requirements, when they are used in universities, they also become political documents, used in particular ways for particular purposes. The practice in some cases, the lived experience, varies from what the intention is of the subject benchmarks. We need to think about this and its implication for the way that we use the benchmarks. Doing so might also give us some insight into some aspects of the most recent overhaul of the National Arrangements of Quality and Standards in England, conducted by the OFS. So this morning we've uh, managed to find ourselves in Utrecht, and uh, well, there are there are all sorts of people with us. Give a, introduce yourselves, you three. Uh, well, my name is Laura, and I'm uh, one of the board members from one of the uh, well student representatives of organisations. And my name is uh, Johan, and I'm uh, also a board member of another national uh, student representative. And that's uh, NSRB. Hi, I'm Deep. I'm uh, also a board member at a national student representation representation organisation, PISO. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, each of you gets to talk about one issue facing students that you think is really important, and that means the person who goes last, you'll have to think on your feet. I think I'll pick the cherry uh, right now. Um, student well-being is a big uh, issue in the Netherlands. Well-being uh, and over half of uh, Dutch students have uh, mental uh, issues regarding uh, loneliness or depressive fear, and uh, that's one thing we uh, also want to do a lot about. So. Students uh, can live a happy life, but also after this time. And do you have a clear sense of what is causing that? Is it, was it COVID? Is it something else? You know, what is the, do you know what's causing it? I, I believe that COVID has um, uh, made a lot of, vis- a lot of issues that were there already visible. Right. And a lot of issues uh, have been caused by situation, the situation of students, the, the, the financial position, housing position. But also the 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 pressure of uh, getting through your education as uh, as quick as possible and not 
taking your time when you need it and the focus of results instead of the study success? Uh, well, I think there's also an issue of uh, students not being enabled, students not being enabled to uh, actually participate in, in um, uh, what, we, what we call Medicephus Hop. So that's uh, just active student life outside of your, your studies. So doing board years or what you call, I think, sabbaticals years. Um, there are all of these issues with, um, all with only being able to do that when you have money because it costs lots of money because of the, uh, because of the system. So I think that's also, uh, an issue we're facing. Yeah. Because they, again, only a super specific group of people that you are hearing from, uh, while the, the, the group is much more there. Yeah. So not only do the benefits of taking path not flow equally to students, the university's only here from people who... I'm really passionate about that social safety for students. It's not, it's not great in the Netherlands. And actually, we've been... For too long, I don't think it's gotten the priority that it needs. And it's been treated as a subword uh, student well-being. And obviously, it has a big implications on your well-being. But finally, we're seeing policy specific to how to create a safe student environment. And uh, yeah, for me, it's just reading all these reports and... There's so much to do and, um, yeah. And then obviously the thing I must ask you about quickly is uh, the thing we have noticed is the Minister for Higher Education saying don't recruit any more international students. Uh, why? why? What's, that, what's happened there? Uh, internationalization is a big challenge uh, in, in the Netherlands. Um, and the problem is that uh, as a university, when you have a, a higher percentage of the, the students, you get more money. So there's a big incentive to recruit more students and international students are a really big source. So what we see is that uh, universities get really crowded. And the dif difficult part is that uh, you don't want to demonize international students. And on the other hand, uh, unlimited internationalization is also a big burden for those inter international students. Now, on the site this week, we've been thinking about the AG policy year ahead. Gary, tell us more. Well, it's January, isn't it, Jim? It's, it's the chance uh, when you think about uh, planning, you think ahead. It would be really nice if everything wasn't so chaotic, wouldn't it? So you could actually base your uh, analysis on the year ahead on uh, any form of predictability in either uh, national, international sector, student affairs. Um, if only we had that luxury. What I found really interesting on the site that I absolutely agree is going to be something where I just do not know how the sector is going to respond in the year. But the site really helpfully sets out the problems, doesn't it, with policy people to think about what could happen is housing. I think I can't be um, the only one thing that we've come to an impasse where we've just stated the problem and now we're just thinking about what are the causes and therefore what are the solutions. I think uh, the site really well puts that you need to get less people coming in, more houses built. Um, or make different choices about how you construct your university. Um, I think the um, interesting thing, and the reason I, I mentioned it as my uh, top thing that I'm thinking about in the year ahead, is that, of course, the intersection between what Department for Housing, um, the way that local uh, communities are thinking about housing planning, the way in which the Department of Education thinks about planning. Uh, what we know from our trip is that the Netherlands, uh, the Minister for Education has written to uh, universities across the Netherlands saying, can you stop recruiting international students? Um, now, I, I had dinner um, the other night and sat next to a senior manager from the University of Amsterdam who was talking about the fact that they're already here to a great extent and actually you've encouraged us for so many years to build a model that relies upon this. Um, and actually, we're universities, we're not housing suppliers for the most part. Um, I mean, she had a long list of all the policy conditions in the Netherlands that have led to effectively students not having housing. 
And I, she turned to me and just went, you know, I'm sure you can't relate. And it's like, no, actually, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it's shocking. So I think the, um, it's fascinating for this podcast because it's policy conditions, isn't it? It's not like people suddenly decided to move to Durham. You know, they, they were very happy living in Cardiff and they decided to move to Durham. They've been brought to Durham. And actually, in terms of the policy conditions that created people queuing outside of agents overnight, that's not an accident, that's choice. So I think in the year ahead, and you've got different choices will be made. And I think that is why it's such a fascinating policy question. The cost of living crisis is not going anywhere anytime soon. I think that the increase on the maintenance loan for next year is nothing short of an insult. And I can't even begin to fathom with my little brain, even when I put it into full-scale sabbatical officer mode, what we can begin to do to alleviate how difficult it's going to be for students next year. I think that... You know, it's, it's coming from all directions. They're going to be, what was it, £1,500 worse off um, in real terms next year. And then add to that the issue of, oh my goodness me, I don't know if I can find a house. Uh, and the ones that I can find are absolutely ridiculously expensive. Um, you also add into that the complexity of student letting contracts are now sort of taking out those all-inclusive bills offers and saying right students sort it out yourselves which with how expensive energy bills are getting it's very cheeky from the letting agents and it's also very very bad and scary for students because they can't afford it and even those that are keeping the inclusive bills offer they're getting hit with ridiculous ridiculous bills for thousands of pounds because they've gone over their energy caps and they they didn't even know that they had energy caps. I think there's a whole range, especially the cost of living means a lot more students hard work it. A lot more students are trying to fit around when they study, around their jobs. The structures over here explicitly allow students to say how much of their degree they want to do this semester. I want to, you know, be studying 75% of the time and the rest of it I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to run this organisation. I'm going to help my fellow students study this module because I want to do it. That just doesn't exist. Government, effectively, if we focus on the one we've got for the time being, is in a really interesting conundrum um, to sketch together the votes it can get. Now, we sort of know that the, the, the Conservative Party, from all the polling we get, has very little to offer uh, millennials and under. I just about count as a millennial. Um, and actually, in terms of the policy office, in terms of higher education, I think they've made a calculation, clearly, of then we're not going to get those votes. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll try and get them somewhere else. You know, their focus is schools and further education. The Labour Party, to be fair, is probably making a similar calculation that they they can rely upon millennial and young people votes for other reasons. Because I think, um, you know, we have to bear in mind that students are students, but they also live in rural communities and they want kids and they want houses. They're not single issue people. But the Labour Party's made a calculation they can rely upon those votes. So in terms of higher education, it sort of feels like the uh, the policy area that neither side sees votes in. It would be really interesting therefore to see that they weren't relying upon the sector so much to drive economic recovery um, or to compensate for the fact that the uh, NHS um, can't deliver psychological support for young people and that uh, local authorities can't deliver housing for young people um, I think what two things are really interesting to me one of which is again I'm giving I don't even uh, like him that much much Jack my opportunities officer um, at the Labour Party conference, we referred back to the fact that the Labour Party um, policy mandate at the last conference didn't mention higher education. And he stood up and went, can we just, Bridget, take this back? Like, you need to do some thinking. 
And then this week, I saw on the socials that um, the Labour uh, Students Committee and a number of Labour clubs effectively said, are you still committed to tuition fees? And that's a, uh, to abolishing tuition fees. And that's an old debate. I've got my own views on it. But I find it very interesting the young people are mobilising. So in terms of a general election coming up, and particularly as it relates to higher education, I think what I'm finding interesting is the silence. There's no votes there. You know, Matt Weston, Robert Halfen are talking about other things, further education and what actually gives people skills for life, employability, lifelong learning, da-da-da. If you're an 18 to 21-year-old um, looking for a residential experience, I think there is a calculation that your votes have been assessed, they've been weighed, we know where they're going, we're not competing for you, we're competing for other things. So, unfortunately, we've got to agitate as a sector for wh where we fit into their manifestos, how much of the pie are we going to get after uh, Starmer takes power, um, you know, potentially. Um, and we're competing with so many other things. So I will be very interested in the long run up to the general election, how vice-chancellors effectively make the calculation that silence is not an option. And actually, in terms of students who have traditionally said, this is our manifesto, this is what we stand for, the UK, I think, are going to have to get dirty. Well, they're going to have to realise they are not like uh, going to invite people to dinner at a high table. Like Matt Weston is going to go for much rather have a, a dinner cooked at University College Birmingham by some wonderful apprentices than he's going to come to Durham for a high table. And I don't think they, they, they're prepared for that. And we're going to see, we're going to have 18 months of our chances fighting, I think, for attention. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, UCAS End of Cycle data came out this week, and DK was all over the tableau. It's UCAS end of cycle time again, so there's tons of data on Wonky in two articles that I urge you strongly to go and have a look at if you haven't already. The 2022 cycle has seen the return of conversations about capacity. For about the last decade, in England at least, there's been no centrally set student number controls, meaning we've had the impression that the capacity for the sector to take in new students is basically limitless. But the combination of two bumpy years of higher than expected recruitment after changes to A-level marking and a unit of resource per student that is shrinking in real terms, mean that for many subject areas and many providers, we're rapidly reaching a limit of what we can fit in. The perception here has been that academically able, advantaged students applying to high-status courses have been the ones to lose out. In actual fact, this week's data shows that this is not the case if we take polar quintiles of the proxy. There is some evidence of some more selected providers making the choice to contract undergraduate recruitment, but there were six members of the Russell Group, including Cambridge, that saw England domiciled 18-year-old numbers increase between 2021 and 2022. 
and there was one provider which I shan't name here that has nearly doubled in size between 2019 and 2022. The evidence seems to point to a return to a trend with comparisons to 2019 showing mild expansion in most of the cases. Subject trends have proven to be very dependent on providers. The gross and healthcare recruitment, for instance, does not hold in all cases and there is no ab- obvious pattern as to who is up and who is down. We are seeing a lot of what we might call churn in creative arts recruitment with some small providers leaving the subject area entirely and others joining. However, the trend here in large providers is generally positive. Offer-making remains a law unto itself, with all kinds of insights into university strategic thinking available, and we've got data on acceptances by type of qualification which reveals that in many places A-levels are in the minority for students entering a university or higher education provider. Do have a dive into the data visualisation. This is your chance to get in deep not just with your provider's data, but the data of every provider in the sector. And do leave us a comment and let and let us know what you've spotted. There's tons of stuff in there. Now, we've obviously been on this uh, trip around uh, Belgium, the Netherlands and Germany with a whole bunch of student leaders and the staff that support them this week. What were some of the things that have stuck out for you? We went to the Free University of Brussels on our first day. Um, and I'm sure we all work in places where our universities say they're values-driven institutions. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, you've got Durham, the Open University, Norwich University of the Arts, they're all the same uh, for the most part. Uh, and indeed, the Free University of Brussels had, you know, people and planet and uh, punctuality. Like, there were five Ps. Um, but the sixth P was, um, I'm going to say this wrong, Juan Carré, um, who my president Joe was with me, the mathematician, and I was stunned he knew who it was. He's a uh, mathematician from the area. And the university articulate that one of their values is a philosophy, it's a theory, it's an organisation with a with a not just a set of pleasing adjectives to describe what it does. Um, and underneath it, this, this lad had given a speech uh, years ago um, about education is nothing if it bows to pressure. It, you know, the fact speech for itself. We are curious, open, inquiring minds. And the reason I found it interesting is um, I work at Durham, um, Free Speech Ground Zero. Um, where actually it's viewed as value neutral. Like actually, the ability to shout abuse is as good as the ability to make a meaningful, thoughtful contribution in philosophy and theology or whatever. And I just find it fascinating that someone just went, "No, it's got to be good free speech. It's got to be like academic endeavour. We're not just like um, Breitbart or the Tab." <laughs> um, so actually, a university saying, "You know, we're here to be clever." It just—it's uh, an artistic university. We spoke to the student leader there. Um, who told us about his baptism, you know, we might speak about that in a bit, Um, but he was just so um, ingrained in the life of the university because they were were trying to be creative. I have been completely amazed by the way that the way that they allow their students to just do things and do things properly here. So rather than, you know, expecting six people who've either taken a year out of their degree or finished their degree and decided to stick around for a bit to do absolutely everything, which is just never going to work, they seem to quite neatly, especially in the Netherlands, split that up into education policy, which is done by the, the university council, the student council, and then you've got your activities that's done by the student associations, and then that frees up the students' unions to do the activism, to do the the politics and to actually, you know, get a bit down and dirty. 
everywhere we've been in Netherlands, they've just been talking about protests and strikes and sit-ins and occupations. And they love a protest here. Well, well, not here, we're in Germany now. But yeah, it's blown my mind. I do find it interesting, India. I wonder if, if you agree that I think tying together two of your points that I've come on some of these trips before. Like I quite often do this podcast on, on the trip away. And I'm fascinated by the fact that um, in the UK, we're, we're really centralised. We don't have that local government that Alex spoke about. So we think that everything needs to be run by one group that knows what it's doing. Like, um, we need somebody who is the decision maker and there's only one, and that's it. Um, Where's the top of this tree? So in, our, so in our student unions, in our universities even, like there's an executive, there's a VC, um, or there's a student union president, or there's a, a senate or whatever. Um, and everything flows to there. There's a, there's a bit of a fight and then a decision comes out. Whereas because here they're, like, they're federal or they're um, much more uh, municipal, because of their heritage, their culture, they're not just being run by Westminster. Um, but actually, like their VCs have to fight out an election. Like they have um, a council um, in the University of Amsterdam, uh, who, as I said, I spoke to, they have a staff um, elected body and a student elected body. And they both have a separate veto on the institutional budget. Like they're just a bit messier and they're used to things having power that isn't um, executive. I mean, on the plus side, they seem to get little done quickly. Uh, <laughs> but I just find it really interesting about actually they've grown from where they are and we come on these trips and go oh we could copy that and we can't and we just don't have the culture there's a real opportunity now I don't think we could move to a model like this overnight or in a decade or however long it is I think students take on more ownership of more control of their education on these activities that are education yes maybe learning's on that curriculum but what we felt for all the student associations here was that they had real power they got to decide their own budget, think decide this, and they were allowed to fail. And I think that's really important that there's no one holding their hand through it. Yeah, interesting because all three of you used the word allow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if someone can actually, st- like, I will permit you to do that. And actually, there's no question of it. So today we all went to the uh, University of Twent- uh, Twente, probably saying that wrong. Uh, Dutch is a very hard language. Um, but they had a phenomenal thing called Create Tomorrow, where a group of students, um, on their own have created a hundreds of thousands of euro event uh not that that matters but just give you a, a sense of the size of it where students craft creative problems to actually uh, important industrial and social problems and some companies adopt it like they win a prize but they they didn't ask permission like there was nobody to ask permission of but <laughs> like the student union didn't allow them the student just went i'm doing this yeah yeah uh, and they rent a space in the su and there's and there's a dialogue around um rent i was fascinated to find out the su doesn't charge them rent they just take services but they also do problem solving for the su but allow like we say that because that's what we think we do but actually particularly at our institutions where our students have a lot of social capital like we couldn't stop them if we wanted to but in the netherlands it's just like and, and belgium to be fair um it's just natural that i'm going to do this i think the professional services that we offer at our universities are you know some of the best things about them actually and i do think that there's a lot of benefit in finding that nice middle ground between how it works in the netherlands and how it works at home where students are able to you know have that professional support and really really benefit from those incredibly skilled and knowledgeable people that find themselves in those jobs but then also have that freedom to, you know, not have to ask permission to do this thing or not have to be allowed to take a bit of time away from their degree to do something else. I think that something that did strike us today actually was that so these these student boards of the students' unions here, 
they take the year out of their studies, but they don't get paid for that. They can take a loan from the government of £10,000. They have more student debt on. And yeah, they add more student debt on just to, you know, run the organisations that they care about. And that's, you know, that in itself is amazing. But for me, as a low-income background student, that's a bit like, oh my goodness me, I don't think I'd ever be able to afford to do that. So, yeah, I think it's there's a, there must be that sort of sweet middle point between focusing on widening participation but also enabling this incredible student participation that they have here. I think it's seeing that student decision making on every level is into seeing how at the board level at committee level it's not tokenistic it's real student input. I saw at Amsterdam that they call legal advice to students actually something that they support student volunteers who are studying law to give students basic answers to things that are just uh, what does this contract word mean? That doesn't need the over-professionalisation point. An actual lawyer it needs a good-hearted volunteer to just go, I'll explain it to you. And I think I'm going to go back and talk about how we can help volunteers do that. So that's about it for this week. Remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com. Don't forget you can get the latest show automatically when it's out. Just search for The Wonky Show wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out how we can keep you and your organisation ahead of everything going on in the UK AG, do head to the website to find out more about our subscriptions. So thanks very much to Alex. Gary, India, and our news editor, Michael Salmon, who makes the show happen. Uh, Until next week, stay wonky. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.